Welcome to another inspiring message from John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Alright, Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 1. In both venues, if you are there, shout yes. yes. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. I would love to preach for just a month on those two words, Moses' aid. When you write the autobiography of your life and you've just conquered the promised land and you could have any description you want, dictator, military leader, El Presidente, Viva El Presidente, you know, but Joshua chooses as his title, Moses' aid. He's like the new Pope. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates or the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Come back tonight if you like those, those words. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. This is an amazing passage of Scripture as God begins to speak to Joshua on the opening hours of his leadership journey as the leader of God's children, the Israelites, as they are about to take a step into something amazing. And he speaks to Joshua at the outset of his leadership journey with this commandment, get ready to cross the Jordan River. This phrase, get ready to cross the Jordan River, this book, the book of Joshua, has been at the centre of our journey, Arise's journey, since the third year of our church. In fact, it's actually been part of our journey since my formative years as a minister when I was maybe about the age of 21 or 22 years old when I began to read this book and this book came alive within my heart. And then in the early days of our church's journey, I preached for an entire year from the book of Joshua as we, as we had a year that was literally entitled uh, Possessing Promises. And now it has become a theme, an anthem, a continuing genre of our church. And as we begin this new series on this man, Joshua, on this book, the book of Joshua, and we're gonna spend the next period of time as a church across every venue unpacking the book of Joshua, I wanna begin again by returning to the simple thought, get ready to cross the Jordan River. On our stage tonight, we have the one side of the Jordan and we have the other side of the Jordan. As I wanna to talk to you about the journey of faith that began centuries prior to this verse of Scripture being written when God spoke into the heart of a man by the name of Abraham while he was living in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Later that place became known as Babylon and God said to him, I want you to leave your people, your father's house, all that you know, all that is familiar. And I want you to set out on a life of journeying, sojourn, 
pilgrimage. And uh, sorry, Abraham was obedient to the Word of God. As a result of his obedience, he he eventually found himself on the other side of the Jordan River, dwelling in the land of Canaan, where God spoke to him. And God said, the land upon which you are now standing, I will give to you and your descendants, it will become yours. And I will give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Fast forward to the end of his life and we know that Abraham died with only one child in the faith and his name was Isaac. Isaac dwelt in that same land, an heir, not of real estate, not of family wealth, not of possessions, but an heir of something greater, an heir, I know, of what every parent in our church wants their children to receive. It's greater than the university education, greater than the house that we might try to leave to them, is the promise of God alive in their heart. Every parent shout Amen. And Abraham was able to leave to his son Isaac that promise. You will be blessed of God. You will inherit this land. Isaac dwelt in a tent his entire life, having only two children. And their names were Esau and Jacob. Jacob finally began to get busy. He had 12 children. One of them, his name was Joseph. You remember Joseph? He's the guy with the Technicolor dream coat, right? Nice and bright colored. Thought the sun shone out of him. And then eventually the Bible tells us that his brothers, despising the favour that was over Joseph's life, sold him into slavery. And so Joseph left that land on one side of the Jordan and went down to the land of Egypt. There he was sold into slavery to a man by the name of Potiphar in charge of the palace guard. Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was a bit of a hot young guy, invited him into the bedroom, asked him to change a light bulb. He reached his hands up and while his hands were in the air, she stripped his clothes off him. He ran from the bedroom, went naked down the street, got arrested for it. Hopefully in Wellington and in Capita, you'll still get arrested for running down the street with nothing on. Got put in jail with the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker. Spent many years of his life there, interpreted their dreams, yet they forgot about him. And then the Bible says that even though he languished for so long, that eventually came the day when Pharaoh needed his dreams to be interpreted and no wise man and no counsellor was found in the land of Egypt. And in one single calendar day, Joseph went from the prison to the palace, from literally living with chains around his ankles to being the one who governed second only to Pharaoh himself, the entire land of Egypt, which is why no one hearing my voice this morning should judge their life in an instant. Because in one moment, the promise of God could come to pass in your life. Somebody get encouraged about that today. Yeah, come on. God can take you from the pit and place you in the palace at any moment that He chooses. He is God and He is in control. If you believe that, shout yes. Yes. The Bible tells us that in a time of famine, now the entire family tribe of Israel, Jacob, as you know, had an encounter with God and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel and the entire family tribe came down to the land of Egypt. The Bible says that that over the next 400 years, that family tribe multiplied and grew and multiplied and grew and multiplied and grew until it was no longer a family tribe, but now a nation of people. Church, I want you to know that this nation of people was unlike any nation before or since. 
in that they were a nation without a nation, a people without a land. They were defined not by the country of their origin, but by the promise of God that was alive in their heart. They were like New Zealanders without New Zealand, Australia's without Australia. They were they were Americans without the land of the free and the home of the brave. They were, they were a people without a land, yet the promise of God defined them and made them the very people of God, which is so encouraging for me because the Bible says that we have been called from every nation, tribe, language, every ethnic background, every demographic, and we have been made not just New Zealanders, but God's own children, a royal priesthood, a holy nation special, chosen, favoured, with a Father watching over us, and they became a nation of people. They dwelt there, the Bible tells us, for 400 years. 400 years of bondage, 400 years of slavery, which raises for me a question. How can it be that you are called God's own people, God's own children, favoured of the Lord, let live for 400 years while Egyptian slave masters oppressed them and beat them. But I want you to understand that no matter what you might be judging your life be right now, by right now, God is still in control. God led them to Egypt for one simple reason, and that is that a family tribe is unable to exercise nations and to conquer and literally a whole geographical space. So God took them from where they were down to the land of Egypt and the slave drivers simply stopped the Egyptians from intermarrying with the Israelites. In other words, what was oppressing them was in fact defining them, which means for me that no matter what is happening to you right now, God can make it work for you right now. It doesn't matter. We go through all kinds of stuff, but our God is always in control. The Bible tells us that eventually up came the man by the name of Moses with a big beard, looked like a member of ZZ Top. Proclaimed to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Plagues came on the land. And the Bible tells us that eventually when every firstborn son that did not have the blood over their door, and that's a message for another part of this series, was eventually uh, killed by the avenging angel as God said, if you will not let my children go, then I will not let your children go. Never resist God. It doesn't go well. And then the Bible says that they came up out of the land of Egypt and they found themselves after parting the Red Sea in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness for only a matter of months when eventually they reached the edge of the Jordan River. A camera guy, if we can catch this for our Capity people, we have on our stage the Jordan River. Give, 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 our, give our team a, a big round of applause for our, our Jordan River. It's amazing. It's a work of art. We wanted running water, but we've already been banned from that with baptism services, but uh, because there's $300,000 pianos stored underneath the stage, which our worship team love as well. But we have, a, we have our amazing Jordan River this morning, and they reach the edge of the Jordan River. When, when you read what happens next, it's an amazing story. The Bible tells us that 12 spies were sent across to survey the land on the other side of the Jordan. A, a, a race of people who only three months before 
had just come up out of slavery. They have lived in slavery for the last 400 years. Generations born, generations died, generations born, generations died in a position of slavery. And as much as God used it, it affected them. And it doesn't matter what you're going through in your life, the truth is at some level, the events of our lives do affect us. And they found themselves reaching the edge of the Jordan and sending 12 spies across to check out the land that was on the other side. When they came up, the, when they came back, the Bible says that there came a different report, report from the 10 and from the two. 10 spies, the majority, looked at the land on the other side of the Jordan River and they said, the obstacles are great. The challenges are abundant. The threats are imminent. And they said, we are gonna die if we go over there. It'll be the end of us if we go over there. We will experience defeat and ridicule and it's too much and we can't do it. And we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. Where that language was born, I'm not quite sure, but I know that it comes from something perverted on the inside of them, a way that they saw themselves as they looked at what was on the other side of the Jordan and said, somehow, somehow, the people there are bigger than us, better than us, more qualified than us. Two, the Bible says, came back to Joshua and to, sorry, came back to Moses. Their names were Joshua and Caleb. And they said, man, God is with us. His favour is over our lives. If God is sending us across this Jordan, then you know what? If God is for us, who can be against us? The hand of the Lord is with us. It has been removed from them. Let's go over because we can take the promised land. But the Bible says that because of the report, you can read it in Numbers 13, because of the report of the 10 spies, the hearts of the Israelites melted with fear and they failed to cross the Jordan. And so for 40 years, God said, no adult man who saw the promises of God and failed to step into them will be able to walk into the promises of God. And so for 40 years, they waited. They waited while a generation passed and another generation was raised up by God. During those 40 years, they wandered around and around in the same barren wilderness, the same fruitless place, the same miserable existence. Their shoes never wore out. The manna turned up every day. God was always faithful. And I meet so many believers who just daily give God thanks that He's always faithful. And yes, He's always faithful, but it does not mean that just because we serve a God of providence that we are obedient to His prompting and what He has for us in our lives. At the end of 40 years, I want you to understand that the number 40 in the Bible is always very significant. There were, there were 40 nights and 40 days of floodwaters that came in the days of Noah. We understood, understand that when Goliath came out to taunt the Israelites, that he came out every morning and every evening with his taunts for 40 days, which by the way, is why the devil will always go after the first thought you think and the last thought you think, in the morning and in the evening. And for 40 days, he taunted them. We know that when Jesus went into wilderness, to fast. He fasted for how long? Come on, Capity, for 40 days. Say it in Wellington too. For he fasted for 40 days. 40 days. And the number in 40 in the Bible speaks to us of totality or of completion. And after 40 days, 400 years of slavery, 40 years in the wilderness, I want you to understand this morning that something began to happen to the size of the Jordan River as they continued to return to it time and time again, looking across it, seeing their land on the other side of it, 
perhaps even knowing the grass is green, the life is abundant on the other side of the Jordan. As they stood there and looked across it, I want you to understand that that river grew in their hearts. It became for them over 40 years, no longer just a body of water to be forded, but now a line of confinement marked in the sand. That Jordan River said for them, you can go this far, but you cannot go any further. It became for them something that hemmed them in, restricted them. It said for them, this is the, dis- this is the lot, this is the boundary point, this is all you'll ever have. And it became for them a mark of capacity in the sand. It said to them, this is your life. And I want you to understand that what happened to me when I began to read this passage in 2004 was God began to speak to me about our church. And He said, John, every believer has a Jordan River. Every church has a Jordan River. Every Christian has a life that they are familiar with and then a promise from God that is calling to them on the other side of the Jordan. And what God said in my heart about our church 10 years ago is what He's saying, I believe, at this time as we're returning to this book and that is to say that God is speaking to so many people in our church congregation and I believe He's speaking to our church And He's saying, get ready to cross the Jordan River. Get ready to cross. Get ready to leave the limits behind. Get ready to leave restriction behind. Get ready to leave the familiar behind. Get ready to go somewhere new, somewhere that you've never been before. How many people in this room and in Capity believe that we serve a God who has no limits? If you believe it, shout Amen then whenever we find a ceiling limit, whenever we find something that we do not believe we can ever go beyond, there in our lives we find a Jordan River. See, everybody has in their life a present that is familiar. Everybody has this environment that they've grown up in, this life that they're familiar with, the set of circumstances that have become their normal. For many people in this room, it's living hand to mouth. Sometimes in our lives, it's like the presence of conflict in a marriage, maybe, maybe a life that is somehow just always, always feeling like it's filled with struggle. There is a present that is always gonna appear familiar and there is something so drawing in our lives about the familiar. My parents have moved a lot of times. Jillian's parents are still living in the house that they moved to just after I met Jillian, uh, 20 odd years ago, maybe longer, I'm not sure. And whenever I walk into their home, even though it's been redecorated, every time I walk in there, there is something so present and so familiar about it. But in every person's life, there is also on the other side of the Jordan River, there is a future that appears to us formidable. It calls to us. We, something within us yearns for the future. We wanna step beyond where we are right now, but there is always gonna be the sense of apprehension. Come on, am I preaching to anybody? Oh man, I don't know about that. The wheels could come off. I'm scared about it. It all looks different. I mean, Christians can be like this just in general societal changes. And I'm not talking about moral shifts here. I'm just talking about technology changes, you know, style changes, dress changes. And churches can be guilty of living in the wilderness when God is saying, no, 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 we're not here to be afraid of the future. We're here to shape the future. Come on, somebody say amen. 
or yes. God is wanting us to not run from the future. He's wanting for us to embrace it. Everybody has in their lives experiences that are gonna define them one way. Our experiences define us, shape the paradigm of our expectations, cause us to think about our lives one way. Oh man, nobody in this room was born into this world saying my life will be a struggle, difficult, I will fail in relationships, I will encounter physical challenges, I will know depression. No, when you're a child, you're a doctor, you're gonna be a fireman, you're gonna be a lawyer, a nurse, you're gonna be, you're a superhero, hello. You're a ballerina if you're a girl, hopefully, uh, you know. No, no, I shouldn't say that because you can be a ballerina and be a guy, that's fine. Um, you know what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you're young, you're not shaped by your experiences. But living in the wilderness shapes you. Does. Everybody has experiences that define them one way, but on the other side, they have dreams and the dreams define them another way. The dreams say, oh man, I'm gonna do something amazing. There's a tomorrow for me. There's something that comes into our heart in that moment of prayer and that wild moment when we just go, God, would you give me? And it's the dream that leaves our mouths. It is, it is the experiences that live in the wilderness and it is the dreams that live in the promised land. Everybody has a current environment that is risk-free. Everybody does. We have an environment, supposed to be in brackets, risk-free. And we live in our environment. You know, the longer you live there, the more you become accustomed to it. Like when, when, you, when it's the first time you're there, there's a lot of threats. First time we took our kids to Australia, you know, we had to teach them don't, don't play in the shrubs. Because New Zealand kids, they're just going in and out of every bush, every corner. Of course, because we have no poisonous spiders, no snakes. Going to Australia, you know, there's all that. And, and there's something risk-free about the environment that we are familiar with. And we are adverse to risk. Am I the only one? We like to know the risk. We like to, you know, check the risk. We want to cover it off. We talk about low risk investment, high risk investment. The problem is that God, He doesn't think about the wheels coming off anything He's ever called us to do. He doesn't think like that. God's like, what, what if the economy turns? God's like, what? My promises turn? They don't turn. They don't turn. They don't fail. No word ever left my mouth and fell to the ground. So by very definition... By very definition, there is an environment with which we are familiar, and then there is a new environment that God is calling us into, and that one might be risk-free, but this one will always be, in brackets, risky. Because God is calling us into something new. He's saying, leave the old behind and step into the new thing. And we've got we've to grow, don't we? I've got to grow to my point where I'm willing to accept that if God's speaking to me to do it, then I'm gonna walk in there and I'm gonna go, oh my gosh, this could kill me. Exactly, you're right where God wants you to be. You're in the promised land. This is what it looks like. Everybody has an everyday reality and everybody has a heavenly calling. I need to get this for the Capity guys. Everybody has a heavenly calling. I said I'd preach close to the TVs. Everybody has a heavenly calling. 
and the everyday reality of our lives and the heavenly calling of our lives are always gonna look diametrically opposed. And between the two of them, there is this thing we call the Jordan River. And in order to step into what God has got for us, we have to be willing to leave behind this place that we've lived in for so long and be willing to go somewhere new. It is a willingness to cross the Jordan that is going to define the very course of our lives. Man, this is the key to breaking generational cycles. You can live in the same family, in the same environment, go around the same circle, have the same problems, or you can choose to make your home, not in the wilderness of where you've been, but in the promises of God. I'm afraid, I'm scared, it's risky, it's big, but I reckon somebody this morning's deciding to step out of where they've been and to go somewhere new. You can shape a new future, declare a new life, Break a cycle. We don't have to wear a well-worn track. We can go somewhere new. We can step into the beyond. It's like a gym class. I'm going across the Jordan. That was for me, I just had to stay awake. See, a Jordan River, a Jordan crossing is not about geography. In the Old Testament it was. But in the New Testament, a Jordan crossing is about our philosophy, our paradigms, our thought patterns. I'll never forget when I chose, uh, when, when Jill, God, and I, God called Jillian and I to move to Wellington. And on Labor Weekend of 2002, I got into our car, a Holden Vectra. Never buy a car like the, a Holden Vectra. Even the dog and lemon guide says, don't buy one. But anyway, we did. And God's so merciful. But anyway, we, we, I drove this car to Wellington, a receptionist of a church in Auckland told me this quick way to drive to Wellington. And I'm not sure whether her instructions were terrible or my ears were terrible, but either way, I drove to Wellington via New Plymouth. <laughs> it's on the Friday of Labor Weekend, 2002. Never forget arriving here, I arrived at the very last minute to make it in the door of the, the real estate agents to get the key to the house that Jillian and I had rented because the movers were coming the very next morning, first thing, and also I had nowhere to sleep. So, you know, I, I got to this house. I was in this new city, hills, green belt, tunnels, one-way streets. Like, you know, Wellington's this amazing collection of villages. You know, you've got the Brooklyn Village, the Kilburnie Village, you know, Churton Park Village, you know, Johnsonville Village, Kandala, Nio, Wadestown, all these little villages, Karori, you know, P-Town, you know, you got all the little, all the villages that define it, and all of it's new. I'd never been there before. In Auckland, I could never get lost. You know, I mean, I'd driven every street, I knew every suburb. I might be on the wrong street. I didn't know the street, but I knew if I got to the end of the road, I would know where I was. And I could not get lost. Suddenly, I need, I need, I need a road map just to go to the dairy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it took us ages to figure out how does Jillian get to work? You know, how, how do we do that here? And, and where are we going to buy stationery from? And, and which is the best supermarket? And, and what the heck with these one-way streets, you know? And, and we're just, everything was new and everything was confusing. And the challenge is that in moments like that, 
I know, and you know too. It's easier just to retreat back. That's a reality in the natural, but you know what? When, you, when you've lived with a certain level of hostility in your family, in your marriage, you know, it's, it's hard when you're trying to negotiate a roadmap that you've never negotiated before. What do you mean? Say sorry every 10 seconds. It's easier just to default. I know she's getting arced up. Oh man, I'm just gonna get there before she does because I don't wanna lose this fight. And next thing you know, we retreat back to where we were. We're back in the wilderness. And that's why God's saying to every believer, as we step in the next 10 years of our eyes, let's not be wilderness dwelling believers a moment longer. Let's leave where we are and step into the promises of God. Come on. See guys, if we're gonna live here, there's five things that we need. And the first thing that we need, if we're gonna live in the promised land, is a new way of thinking. To, to live in the promised land is gonna require, if we're gonna cross the Jordan, the first thing that we need is a new way of thinking. Second Corinthians 10, chapter four, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three and four says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against, on the contrary, uh, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every, every thought. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, there are thoughts, there are pretensions, there are arguments, and finally there are strongholds. And this is the challenge of making a decision, I'm going into the promised land, is that our thinking has become faulty. I'm on this theme in my mind at the moment because God spoke to me on my holiday this year and He said to me, John, I want your thoughts. And this is what I know, that if every thought in my life was obedient to Christ, then this Jordan River, it wouldn't exist. There would be no need for it. But because all of us have got a past, and man, you might not have had slavery in your ancestry, but we've all got junk. The Americans say junk in the trunk. We've all got stuff, issues we have to deal with. And because of that, what happens is we think a thought. And then the thought, it's wrong. The thought's wrong. She's selfish. My wife is selfish. Not Jillian, I'm speaking in character here. The thought doesn't get challenged. So you know what? Then the thought grows and the Bible says it becomes a pretension. A pretension is a fancy word for an assumption. Something that you believe without ever testing it. That's why the Bible says that our thinking must conform to God's book. We've got to return to this because every time we return to it, your thinking goes, what? Oh my gosh, I was wrong. I can't hang on to that unforgiveness. That was thinking out of resentment. Man, I stood when he said, you know, when John Bevere said, you know, the bait of Satan, if you've got an offense, I mean, if you sat down, you're probably lying. Because at the end of the day, come on, unless you're a better Christian than me probably is what you are. But at the end of the day, man, we've all got stuff and the thoughts become pretensions. The pretensions, if we don't pull down the things that exist in our minds without testing them, now they become arguments. This is where the rubber hits the road. Because once, once the faulty thought becomes an argument, this is what it means. This is what it literally means. I come to you and I say, your life has no limits. 
You're not bound by your upbringing. That generational problem doesn't have to be your lot. And you know what? The church doesn't have to fail. And as I'm beginning to talk clearly out of what the Bible is saying, you're there and something is rising up on the inside of you. You're ticked off at simply someone telling you what the Bible says. Why is that? Why do believers do that? And the answer is because their thinking became a pretension. They lived their life out of it so long that the pretension became familiar and the promises of God, something that was estranged to them. And we always resist the new. And our arguments, if we don't tear down our arguments, it goes to a whole nother level. And now we've got a stronghold. And that's what a Jordan River is. It's a place that literally you butt against and you say, no way. And it entrenches itself. But how many people are grateful that the Bible says our weapons are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. And man, we can get a new way of thinking and liberty and change can come to a heart and we can step across this Jordan and we can go somewhere new for Jesus and live in a bountiful place, an abundant place and live in the land of plenty. I'm not talking here about geography. I'm talking about in my home, it's filled with love. In my heart, it's filled with faith. In my mind, it's filled with peace. Come on, we can live in the promises of God. Number two, not only do we need a new way of thinking, but the next thing that we need is a greater level of faith. If we're gonna live in the promises of God, we're gonna leave behind one dimension of faith that we've had perhaps in our lives forever. And we've got to step into a whole new level. In Mark chapter nine, verse 21, Jesus has brought a, a, a boy by a father and the boy is bound by a spirit that sends him into seizures. And the father, the boy, Jesus says, I'm believing generation, Bring the boy to me, verse 20. They brought the boy to Jesus. The Spirit saw him, threw the boy into the ground, into a convulsion. He fell around, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus said, how long has this been going on? And the father said, from childhood. It has thrown him into fire, into water. It's tried to kill him. But if you can do anything, would you take pity on me and help me? And Jesus says, in verse 23, if you can, Anything is possible for him who believes. And the problem is that when we're bound by the wilderness, we're waiting for somebody to do it. I got a message I'm gonna preach in this series. I gotta be careful because there's so much I wanna unpack. But I'm gonna preach a message called When God Stops Doing It. Because in our lives, we like God doing it. (laughs) I've got a six-year-old son. Boys, there's something wrong with boys, isn't there? Like my, my daughter, you know, from the time she was three, she never spilled anything on her clothes. Will is just still, at the age of six, totally unaware that, you know, spaghetti bolognese plus T-shirt is bad. He has no comprehension of that. And, at, you know, at the age of six, he'll still be like, you know, can you put on my shoes for me? And it's like, no, you do it. And he's like, oh, you know. But he always has to go, you know what I'm saying? And I think we're all like that. We just like God doing, I'm, I just gotta get out of that. But we need another level of faith because at the end of the day, we're all waiting for God to fix the problem. And he's saying, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Get a greater level of faith. 
because I said to you that I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I already gave it to you, but you've got a part to play and you need a greater level of faith and to step out and do what I've already told you to do. Number three, we need a revelation of potential. And if we're gonna live in the promises of God, we need a revelation of potential. Because at the end of the day, what this Jordan River does for us is it makes us think that there's nothing more in our lives than what we have known. I will spend my life preaching to this Jordan. I will spend my life telling you that if you've been abused, it doesn't define you. If you've you've had a bad day, it doesn't mean a bad life. If you've come from a tragic upbringing, you don't have to have a tragic future. Your destiny is blessing. Your future is an inheritance. And God's got something amazing that the church is gonna continue to take ground. We will see the greatest days of revival in our nation and the days that are to come than we've ever seen before. If you believe it, give the Lord some praise. Oh my gosh, because at the end of the day, church, what we do is we lower our potential. Jeremiah chapter one, God says to him and says, in Jeremiah chapter one, I formed you in the womb and I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Surely it's gonna be like, great. You knew me, formed me, put me in my mum's womb, gave me the prophets and I'm in, let's do it. But what does he say? Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. And man, what God's saying to him is he's saying, I've given you a promise, church. I've given you a promise and it's time to leave this life behind and step into the purpose for which I have called you. He goes on and says, uh, he says, man, he says, I've made you like a, like a rock that will smash the, like a hammer that will smash the rock in pieces. I've set you over nations to tear down, to uproot, to plant, to build, to overthrow and to destroy. Just Jeremiah from the words coming out of your mouth and God saying to every single one of us, we need a bigger understanding of our potential. To cross the Jordan is to realise we're pretty awesome in God. Number five, the fifth thing that we need is a willingness to be uncomfortable. I hope we got this verse for the screen, but in Numbers chapter 11, verse five is probably one of the most tragic verses in all the Scripture. As the Israelites began to moan to Moses, and this is what they said, Numbers 11, verse five. We remember the fish we ate. The band can come. Uh, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Back it up. Back it up. For 400 years, you've been so oppressed and beaten. Slave drivers have carried whips. Newborn boys were thrown into the water and killed like kittens on a farm, not in Wellington, you know, and now you're saying, hang on a minute, we got to eat some leeks, onions, garlic, ooh, cucumbers and melons, and you want to trade your freedom for that? 
can I buy you for KFC? You know what I'm saying? And we have to have a willingness. Nobody said crossing the Jordan was going to be easy. But we have to have that willingness to say, man, I'm going to go somewhere new. I'm going to reach beyond. I'm willing to be uncomfortable to get into the promises of God. Practical example. I'm 39 years old. I turn 40 next month. Yeah, thank you for the wow. That was amazing. That was really encouraging, actually. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I said to Jillian, I said, sweetheart, you know, 40 is when you start decaying, you know. I'm sorry, but it's actually true. You know, doctors say that up to the age of 40, your body's all right, but from the age of 40, unless you resist it, that your reflexes slow down. That's why guys in their 50s who buy Harleys die because they think their reflexes are fast. Come on, it's the truth. You don't like it, but you need to hear it. We still think that we had what we had. What we had. I finished a sermon like this one, had nothing left. I, I, I mean, I was tired because I had no stamina, had no physical health. And I said to Jillian, I said, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta change the way I eat. I gotta change the way I exercise. She said, all right, well, you better, you better do something then because people think Jillian's full of sympathy. Now she is. And fire, nasty combo. Great combo. I'm sorry. I'm just. So one Tuesday, I said, you know what? I'm going to ride to work from now on on my push bike. I live uh, 26 kilometers from the church office in Porirua. So I got on my bike the next morning and I rode to Johnsonville. That's halfway. Pulled into the KFC car park because I had to come up a hill to get into to Johnsonville. Pulled over into the KFC car park, found a drain. Hopped off my bike and vomited the entire contents of my guts into that drain. Sat there for 15 minutes, 15 minutes until the, you know, stopped spinning. I got back on the bike, went down the Naronga Gorge on the footpath, rode to the office late for my first meeting, but my breath smelled of vomit, so everyone's like, that's okay. Had a shower, brushed my teeth, went home, died that night, you know. Got on the bike the next day, did it again. Three weeks later, I said, right, it's time, sweetheart. I'm gonna do both ways. So I rode into the office, didn't vomit, praise God. Got on the, uh, my bike again, rode back, up the Naronga Gorge, made it home. Next morning, got on, did it again, rode back home. Praise God, that was a Friday. Got the weekend off, thank you, Ray, appreciate that. I hope the ambient mics picked that up for Capity, but he's got a loud laugh. I love him. So I got on, got on the bike the, the next week. Do you know for three weeks, three weeks, I was in pain in my legs all day and all night, every day. It was so blooming uncomfortable. But nobody ever said that living somewhere new would be easy. Today, I'm the fittest I've ever been, I think, in my adult life. Feel the best, drinking less coffee, and it costs something to make the right choices. Now, now before you, don't clap for me. Let, me. let me just say this. Some people decide to come to a church like this one 
It was just so easy. And when you were in that other church and you knew everybody and there was no one new and you didn't have a queue for the car park and now we want you to not just attend church but we'd love you to go to Life Group and help join the team. But at the end of the day, we've got to decide what do we want? What do we want? Because if we're going to live in the promises of God, we've got to leave the Jordan River and live in uncomfortable until your legs stop aching and you've found something new. You need enough reserves of sorry to turn that marriage around. You need to say, I'm going to say sorry till it, it just hurts. I'm going to say sorry till it, till it pains me. I'm going to say sorry till it degrades me but I am going to fight for this thing. I'm going to turn this environment around. I'm going to turn this wilderness into an abundant place of plenty and joy and hope and love and promise. I'm going to get this book and I'm going to put it into my mind and say, anxiety, you can't live here anymore. I'm not living with defeat and I'm not living with sorrow and I'm not living with despair because I'm changing my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my life count. Come on, somebody in this room is deciding, I'm gonna have a life of promise. I'm gonna have a life of blessing. I'm gonna change my future. The devil may have impacted my past, but God's got His promises. I'm gonna live in an abundant place. I'm gonna live in a bountiful place. I'm gonna change the world. My church is gonna advance. I'm gonna change a nation for Jesus. Come on, somebody begin to give God some praise. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Allen Cameron and at Arise Church.